He wanted you to be proactive as we come to uh, listen to a, a few words about Hebrews 12. So before we start, I want you to turn to your neighbour and find out with your neighbour, what is your favourite book of the Bible and why? About 30 odd seconds on that. What's your favourite book of the Bible and why? Okay. Okay, okay, let's just, um, I don't know whether really we're allowed to have a favourite book of a book that is one book. It's one book, isn't it, really? So, Sue, what's your favourite book? Ephesians, why? Because we're doing it in a house group at the moment. Okay. It's strong in your mind. James, what about you? James. It's James? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, lots of really practical wisdom. It's really down to earth, the book of James, isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. The books that you just do become your favourites, don't they? What about you, the other James? Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll sense how uh, blessed I've been because I'm preaching on Hebrews, and Hebrews, I think, is certainly at the moment, is one of my favourite books. Why is that? Well, the book of Hebrews, two things really. Jesus is right at the centre. And the book of Hebrews encourages us to consider him. And all the way through, it tells us that Jesus is better than anything else that we might have imagined or anything else that's gone before. In chapter one, it tells us that Jesus is better than the angels. The absolute height of creation. Angels who make people fall on their faces as if they were dead when they see them. Jesus is better than the angels. In book two, it tells us that, in chapter two, it tells us that Jesus ushers in a better salvation than the salvation of Exodus. Exodus was fantastic. It was escape. It was freedom. It was release. But Jesus brings us a fuller and better salvation than even of the Exodus. Chapter three tells us that Jesus is better than Moses. Read it. It keeps on. Jesus is the best. Jesus is better than Moses. Moses brought us the law and that uh, rule book for right and good living with God. But Jesus is better. Jesus is better in chapter four. He brings us a better Sabbath. The rest that um, Joshua won for the people of Israel when they finished conquering Canaan and they entered into a land of rest. Jesus brings a better Sabbath. Chapter five, Jesus is a better high priest. He brings us into a better relationship than uh, with God, our Father. So that if you wanted one word to summarise this book that we're studying together on Sunday evenings at the moment, it would be the word better. Chapter 13, right at the end, it says Jesus is bringing in a better kingdom, an unshakable kingdom. Have you got that? Message number one, Jesus is better. But it also affects us. Last week, you were studying the, um, the heroes of the faith in chapter 11. Did you notice what it says in that chapter, verse 39? 
These were all commended for their faith, it said. All these heroes of the faith, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So all these fantastic heroes that we read about in chapter 11, there's an expectation that there's something better from us. So if we say that they're heroes, surely that means we've got to be superheroes. Well, how can that be? Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. <laughs> that seems a tall order. How can it be possible? Well, it is possible because the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit searches our hearts and intercedes for us. He works for our good in all things. He predestines us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And he makes us more than conquerors. So if we are to be serious this evening about the task of becoming superheroes through Jesus, what's on the agenda in this chapter? Four things. They've all got E and H in to help you remember, because I've got no PowerPoint. You're not very good at PowerPoints, either, are you, Mark? No. Okay. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's only you. Yeah. I okay. always say that. Yeah, you do. Uh, okay, so here's four things to help you try and remember. Exercise holiness, number one. Number two, endure hardship. Number three, and I struggle for my E here, so forgive me, okay? Emulate your heroes. And number four, energize your heart. Exercise holiness, endure hardship, emulate your heroes, energize your heart. Let's start off. The trouble with the word holiness is I think we, we immediately get all the sort of wrong thing, sort of wrong connotations coming into our mind with the word holiness. We think holiness is the last thing we want anything to do with because it just seems so miserable, doesn't it? Holiness is often, I think, conflated with the idea of self-righteousness and too good, and it tends to just mean things like not, not drinking or not going to the cinema or not watching television and being all holier than thou on a very superficial level, yeah? Well, we've got to put that image of holiness aside because, in a sense, holiness is a very um, hard-done-by word. It's much better than that. Why have we got to be holy? Well, in Leviticus... I was going to get you to look this up, but okay, here it is just for reference. Leviticus 19, at the beginning of chapter 19 of Leviticus, we're told, be holy because I am holy, says God. And so holiness is really the, the seedbed of, of all the other characteristics of God. It's the white light, if you like, from which all, other, all the other qualities of God are refracted. So his justice and his righteousness, his peace and his loyalty and his faithfulness and his hope and his love are all because and part of his holiness. 
So the Pharisees recognized the importance of holiness. They got that right. We often really do down the Pharisees. They got a lot of stuff right. They recognized the importance of holiness, but they got it wrong of how they tried to do it because they tried to do it from the outside in. So they added a whole load of laws and regulations to make you holy. But holiness that is acceptable to God is his new work in which, as the prophets predicted, he writes his law on our hearts. If we try and construct holiness by obeying a set of rules or not doing a whole set of things and being miserable, we'll fail. And that isn't what holiness is anyway. God-given holiness is will transform us and transform our relationships and allow to overflow justice and peace and loyalty and faithfulness and hopelessness. Do you remember what my E word was for holiness? Exercise. Exercise. 10 points to this lady here. Okay, more points will be available during the course of this talk. Exercise holiness. It isn't something that we just sit back and expect to happen to us. It's something we've got to work on. It's a workout. Exercise holiness. Did you notice, if you've got your Bibles open still, towards, it's towards the end of the bit we read. It talks about make every effort. It is a workout. When I do a workout, one of my favourites is playing squash. And if I haven't played squash for a while, I've got a good serve. That's my, I often win. If I do win, I often lose. If I win, it's because of my serve. And so I play squash. And the next day, I can hardly move my shoulder. And if you do that, there's a sort of delicious pain because it's hurting. Why? Because there are all sorts of tiny tears in the muscle, I I believe. And then as they reheal, the muscle becomes stronger. So the next time you play, your serve is even better. And that's the sort of workout it is with holiness. We've got to make every effort on this. It doesn't just happen. We've got to try. Do you remember those characters of, characteristics of God? Be holy because I am holy. We've got to try to do those things and make every effort to do them. And as we do, God in his grace and goodness he will make it so that it's easier to do the next time, perhaps. So there's number one, exercise holiness. Number two, endure hardship. If you've got your Bibles open, you just cut cast down at that middle bit. Um, Where is it? It's verses, uh, well, let's pick up at verse seven. Endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. Here's another word we don't really, it doesn't give us the right sort of vibes, is that word discipline. We often tend to think of discipline as something like a, a 19th century teacher with a cane uh, doing, um, making our lives uh, miserable and, and making sure that we measure up. We think of that sort of discipline. But when God our Father disciplines us, it's because he loves us. 
discipline often takes on the form of hardship because we learn so much through hardship. And our reaction when we're going through tough times and tough situations and hard things to face, our reaction often is to say, why is this happening to me? And we've got to learn to change that why into what is it that you are teaching me through this experience, Lord and Father? Because if I'm going through this hardship, I believe that it is a discipline because you love me. And you love me as a child. You love me as a son. You love me as a daughter. Now that's turning our thinking on on its head, isn't it? Can I just think for a moment what this might look like? Over the Easter holidays, we went to see a, uh, a great friend in in France, uh, he's been a friend for a long time, and he's a, he's a really somebody who's always got it together. He's a consultant anaesthetist in a hospital. He, he all the patients love him. He's always been absolutely brilliant in his career. And we went to his home, and we found that he was having a complete breakdown. He described it using the English word burnout. And complete and utter, and he was unrecognizable. And it was deeply shocking to see him. We've known him for 30, 40 years. And it was very, very shocking. But one of the things, even in the middle of his pain, even in the middle of his pain and desperation, he was saying, God has taught me so many things through this experience, including humility. It's enough to make you weep, but we need to learn something of that spirit, don't we, when we face difficult times, hard times. What is it, Father, that you are teaching me through this experience? And help me to endure hardship as a discipline, knowing that you're doing it because you love me and you want the best for me. No discipline's pleasant at the time, but here's the good part. Later on, it produces a harvest of peace and righteousness. Who for? Everybody? Uh Uh-uh, not for everybody. It produces a harvest of peaches and righteousness. Did I say peaches then? (laughs) Okay. That's a bit of a Freudian slip. Um, It produces a harvest of peace and righteousness for those who've been trained by it. So, Lord, this is really tough stuff, isn't it? Help us to be willing to endure hardship and be trained by it and be disciplined by it and to learn from it. Third one, emulate your heroes. Emulate, copy them. Do like them. I'm going to give you one example to start off with, and it's a woman. Hooray! It's a woman, because most of the people in the list in 11 are men, aren't they? But lurking in there is the story of Sarai or Sarah. 
Well, she's both, because there's two versions of her story. When we first meet her in particular circumstances in Genesis 18, she's not doing very well. She's in a tent, away from the action, away from Jesus, with her back to him, and she is actually scoffing at what the message from God is. I heard somebody call her recently, she was a scoffer and a loffer. He came from the black country, that person. A scoffer and a loffer. She wouldn't be having anything to do with what God had prepared for her. So that makes it all the more fantastic than that woman. Sarai, we find her in Hebrews 11 as Sarah, mother of nations. She'd been scoffing and laughing at the idea that she was going to become a mother in her old age. Rachel Weiss has got nothing on her. No, there are blank faces there. She's having a baby at 48, uh, James, James Bond. Daniel Craig's wife is having a baby at 48, but Sarah was much older than that, and she was scoffing and laughing at it. But in Hebrews, we discover that when she believed that God was faithful, he strengthened, enabled, authorized her to become a mother of nations. And it's that we've got to focus on, that that happened. If you look at the verse, it's about verse 6 and 11. In chapter 11, it talks about her being strengthened when she recognized that God is faithful. So if we're emulating heroes, um, a good thing to emulate is believing that God is faithful. That's in a sense what Andy was saying earlier on to us, isn't it? Is to recognize that this is it, that he is faithful and with us. Turn to your neighbor and say, who? just tell them who some of your heroes are. 30 seconds for that. Keep you, keep you on your toes. Okay. Pauline, who are you going to say? So, for his humility. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Joe? Um, I was just saying to Matt, I I don't really I don't really uh, idolise any celebrities or anyone, but I'd probably have to say my my dad and my mum, um, just because I know them quite well. Um, and I respect them for the things that they've done. That's great, isn't it? 
That's a great thing to say. Because um, some of the best heroes are actually those who, who aren't celebrities. And the book of Hebrews 11 covers some of those as well. The unnamed, the unknown heroes. I've discovered that a lot of my biblical heroes have names that begin with J. Um, I made a list of them. Jacob uh, for his perseverance, Job for his patience, Joseph for his integrity, Jeremiah for his vulnerability, Jonah, I just love Jonah, for his prayerfulness in the worst of circumstances, Joshua for his courage, James for his wisdom, John for his focus on light and love. And we are surrounded by all those people. We are surrounded by them. And since we are, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, we can run the race that's set before us. But this one J <laughs> that I haven't mentioned because Jesus deserves our attention for a few moments separately. So my last E-H was energize your hearts. Energize your hearts. It actually says, doesn't it, consider him. Consider him. Why? So that you don't grow weary and lose heart. So what about Jesus? Well, he, this is mysterious, he exercised holiness here on earth. Hebrews 1 says this, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God is holy. Jesus exercised holy. He endured hardship. Listen to this and be amazed. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through thing, whom everything exists, should make the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. Listen to this. Although Jesus was, a, was the son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. He exemplifies heroism. But not in the way that we might imagine. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, humbling himself and making himself obedient. That's why we need to fix our eyes on him. That's why we need to consider him. If I can set you some homework for a way of considering Jesus, I'd l no. Okay, you don't have to do it, all right? But you're missing out on a real treat. Sometimes homework can be really good, you know. So here's the homework. 
sometimes. Okay. Here it is. At home, read Psalms 116 to 118, those three together, and know that they were the Psalms that Jesus would have sung with his disciples at the Passover meal before he went out into Gethsemane and on to be crucified. Read those Psalms, 116 to 118, and consider who Jesus is. And I challenge you, if that doesn't fill your heart and your soul with awe and wonder about Jesus, then you need to go back and do it again. I'm nearly done. But there's an if then. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, if we exercise holiness, if we endure hardship and listen to what God our Father is saying to us, if we emulate our heroes, if we energize our hearts by considering Jesus, what then? Three things. It will bring us healing. It's there in the text. It will bring us a harvest of peace and righteousness. It's there in the text. And it will bring happiness beyond what we can imagine. Joy is a better word, possibly. Because Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he is future-orientated like we should be. The joy that was set before him, he enjoyed the cross for us and is now set down at the right hand of God. I was glad when Andy said earlier, let's, let's take time to listen to what God is saying to us. Where he is encouraging us to exercise holiness more. Where he is teaching us through times that are hard. Where he's encouraging us by giving us such a great cloud of witnesses. Those of you who are at the morning services, morning service this morning, will have heard some fantastic and encouraging testimonies, boring word, but a great thing that we heard, of other heroes of the faith here in this church. Tom and, and Adam and Esther. I missed one. Dangerous to start. But let's be encouraged by that crowd of witnesses that surround us. I'm going to finish by reading three verses one more time. Do you see what all this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both started 
and finish this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in the faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Amen.